Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 47 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. Many of you know my belief that excellence in sport is not far different to business. Today's guest has studied and proven this. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. James Kerr, the author of Legacy, on the show with us today. Legacy, what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life, is one of the best books I've ever read. James is an author, speaker, and leadership expert who helps create high-performance cultures for elite teams and organizations. Let's get into the episode. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Brad, total pleasure. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. And James... I'm really keen to understand your backstory. What's, what's your backstory that led you into this space of writing a book about one of the greatest all-black teams of all times? Well, I'm a, I'm a Kiwi, uh, and uh, although I live in London now and have for 30-something years, you know, I, I, always sort of, I will always call New Zealand home. And, of course, uh, the epitome of, of being a New Zealander really is, is the all-black. So clearly it was a, a lot of fascination uh, from a young age, uh, about what makes this extraordinary outfit tick. Um, my my background beyond that is I actually started in advertising um, as a as a writer, um, and really there's a sort of um, a, a storytelling aspect to that, uh, and and the ability to kind of uh, define a culture or define uh, the essence of something or the purpose of something that that came out of that and my kind of work as a, as a brand consultant and, and in culture change within larger organizations. And really, I saw the connection. Uh, and, and my legacy really is a case study of, of a lot of that learning from many different domains seen through the prism uh, of an extraordinary team. Uh, you know, maybe the world's most extraordinary team in terms of results. You know, yeah. arguably, in some ways, inarguably, the most successful sporting outfit of all time. So, you know, it's a kind of case study, a, a portrait of, of success and how this particular um, group, um, which in many ways is the most successful era of the most successful team, yeah. uh, really turned the ship around and, and made it, made it uh, rebooted around some really some fundamental cultural truths uh, that helped it lift its game and lift a couple of World Cups. Yeah. Because James, the other thing that's interesting about when you wrote this book, it was written at that pivotal time, isn't it? Because the All Blacks, they had a challenging time leading up to this team. Like it- they had a very challenging time. Uh, I was embedded uh, for a month with the team in 2010. Uh, 2009, I think they lost every game they played against the Springboks, certainly. Um, so they'd had a pretty rough time at that point. Um, they were really rebooting, I think, at that point, aiming towards the 2011 World Cup. But but even before that, they'd had some rocky times. 2007, uh, they they found themselves in the back seat of the cheap seats. You know, the cheap seats of an Air New Zealand jet flying back to yeah. New Zealand, having been bundled out in the quarterfinal stages 
um, of the World Cup. And before that, again, in 2004, uh, when the, 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 that management, if you like, had taken over, they were coming off the back of another World Cup failure um, against the Wallabies. Um, uh, and it wasn't a culture that was in great shape. I think it was yeah. dominated by some strong individuals. Um, they had clear they were starting to get the, the, the tag of chokers, you know, the best team in the world between World Cups. Um, so I was really interested in that process of how you take something that's intrinsically strong. You know, clearly, they even at 2004, they had the world's best sporting stat. That was about 75% of all encounters over about, about 110 years at that point, thereabouts. Mm, um, yeah. You know, an incredible stat already, but not all was well. And the, the new management uh, led by Graham Henry, um, the kind of the three wise men or the gang of four, it's been called in different ways. Uh, this leadership group took a long, hard look at the culture and, and really looked to reboot it. And, you know, the results have spoken for themselves in terms of their approach uh, and the way they did it. And what I saw were very clear parallels with great teams I'd seen in other domains. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to somehow capture that and tell a great story. You know, it is a great story. I wanted to capture it in a storytelling style. No, it was a, a highly enjoyable book, James. Like it, it, it was enjoyable for the read as much as it was for the knowledge and insight. But James, what was it that made you see similarities between sport and business and other arenas? Like where did your yeah. initial thoughts on that come from? Well, well, I think <laughs> we were talking before the recording, you know, the more I look into the great teams or highly functioning teams, um, you know, I think the principles remain the same. They're, they're wearing a different suit of clothes. The language might may express it in a different way, but but there's something almost anthropological, I think, about that that human beings have kind of learned and evolved over time to understand what the criteria are to make great teams. You know, great teams are cohesive teams. They're coherent teams. They're mutually. They they tend to have a, a flat hierarchy. You know the the British SAS talk about rank but no class. Yeah. Um, they they tend to be um, team first environments, or they are all team first environments. It's a contribution, like leaving the jersey in a better place, is the All Blacks version of it. But if you know you take I don't know the. The Gurkhas, for instance, the Nepali fighting force, part of the British and other armies, um, they talk about Qaeda. And Qaeda really is legacy, is that idea of a lineage of, to which they contribute, to which they, they, they do their part with their time in the team. It's sort of upholding those traditions, if you like. Um, same idea, very, very different cultural context. Um, the uh the uh, talking military examples again the navy seals um uh they when when their candidates finish their famous hell week they're greeted by the oldest serving seal who's known as the um the frogman or the um or the and the bullfrog um uh and so they're so it's a passing of the baton again uh, again, that idea of lineage is extraordinarily powerful. And that's just sort of one of the ideas. Other things around their, their learning environments, their places committed to getting better every day, their, their values-based, vision-led, purpose-driven groups. You know, they know what they stand for and they know what they don't. They live those values out loud. They're focused uh, on character. 
and of doing again militarily doing the right thing on a difficult day um they have clarity of vision they know where they're going uh and they've asked the deepest question of all why why does it matter you know there's a purpose purpose beyond results mm. i think and uh, and 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 a bunch of others um you know they tend to be very authentic places they tend to be places that have great psychological safety in which uh, i kind of say in which the conversations that need to be had get had yeah. um they uh are compassionate they take care of each other you know no one gets left behind um now that's true of you know i've talked about military examples that's true within the all blacks let's say it's you know true within i've i've had an opportunity to work with leicester city in their in over the last couple of uh years and wow. and the factors are exactly the same um uh and in terms of businesses you know a lot of businesses don't run like this a lot of businesses are very transactional very hierarchical um yeah. Uh, very it, it kind of internecine squabbling that goes on, very factional, very political. Um, they're the antithesis of what makes a great team. But within good businesses, most often the really great businesses, you know, culture is cellular. You know, it, it really clusters in small groups. You know, that warrior band, if you like, 30-odd people, roughly. Yeah. You know, size of a sales department often, size of a you know, the size of a small bit, you know, a small business, it kind of that, that ambitious startup phase, or when it's really starting to kind of hit its straps. Um, um, they tend to model the same great behavior, the successful ones tend to model the great behaviors, you know, when businesses get too big, or they scale, or they're run in a bad way, they tend to lose that way. And I'm really interested in, well, you know, if, if, Stan McChrystal is is right, and I think he is in terms of defining businesses as you know good businesses as teams of teams. Yeah, you know if you can impact one team, and you can create a kind of a team culture that can be replicated through all the teams within an organization, you can help that large organization really lift their game in every area. And you know I've seen it done really well in some organizations. Some organizations are terrible at it. Yeah, um, but I'm really interested in making a kind of better world of work, if you like, and uh, trying to create a kind of an understanding of what great looks like, um, and and isolate some of those principles that we can start to apply in our own leadership practice. Yeah, it's a good cause, James. It's a good cause. Go to our website, enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to gain additional insights from the pre-interview discussions with James Kerr. There is also an article on how to be an effective coach, which is relevant to the show. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back into the episode. James, what you've described there really sounds to me like what you've discovered is a lot of ways that you can practically create a high performance culture, you know, the word culture is bandied around so much as just a pass away word, but yeah. it sounds like you've really distilled it. And I, I saw that in the book and James, is that what you saw and you wrote about in the all blacks? There was this team that was, you know, they were having moments that they weren't achieving what they wanted to achieve. They were still at 75% win rate, but I know yeah. from your book, they took it to 85 but what did you yeah, see yeah. in that transition? Like, what did well, you see? Well, even higher, 95, I think it was, over the wow. following decade, you know? Wow. So, 
they took the world's most um, successful team and they added 20% on top of that or thereabouts. Depending how you do your maths, it's I think it's sort of seventeen point eight percent or something. But but they 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 put this incredible chunk now. You know, in business that'd be insider trading, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, um, and I think it illustrates the 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 idea of what the military would call a force multiplier effect. It's like in a way that culture works really strongly to impact everything. Um, yeah. And that human dimension, Napoleon said, the moral to the physical is as three to one. You know, the the human aspect of any enterprise much more than your kind of physical assets you know you can only make so many phone calls a day you know you can only kind of knock on so many doors a day it's the synergies between people the cohesion the clarity of effort the the focus um the resilience um the ability to for good cultures to attract and retain talent um to stay up late and order in pizzas mm. You know, all of those intangibles, all of those small marginal gains, if you like, um, act, you know, when they're connected up uh, as a force multiplier, I think, and and can create competitive advantage. Um, sorry, I've slightly gone off your que- your question. No, it's great, James. I think that's great. Kind of, because the, the one thing I wanted to ask you, and this is from a personal point, I enjoyed reading about every 15 elements that you put in that book legacy, you know, I know you've got the second edition out, which adds more, more to it even, but what would you say, James, are four of the key points out of those 15 lessons that you wrote about within the, I I, I almost describe it as a sort of graphic equalizer. It sort of depends on your needs. It depends what you're, you're listening out for, you know, you're going to turn a channel up, but, but I think, I think in terms of the, the kind of the killer apps, if you like the, the, um, Tom Tom Peters famously said, you know, leaders don't create followers, they create other leaders. And that leaders create leaders aspect, which is a phrase that's bandied around and, and I've used as sort of one of the the um the aphorisms, if you like. Um uh the idea that that everyone is a leader. Leadership happens at every level. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I do a lot of work. I go, you know, masterclass work and, and, and I, I go into organizations. And, you know, one of the killer questions, key questions is, hey, you guys, what's the leadership like around here? And there's, uh, there's two, main, two main responses to that. People either point up and shake their head at the same time um, and, uh, or they point to themselves. Yeah. metaphorically or um now that's in a way the two kinds of you know it's either leadership happens somewhere else and everyone's a follower and actually it's blame upwards um yeah. or it's ownership yeah or it's it's on me now great cultures are you know highly accountable in which everybody feels responsible for the result and and that's one way to define leadership is is people who are responsible for the result whatever that result is if it goes wrong it's on me, me a culpa. It's on me. If it yeah. goes right, actually, it's us. We did that. We did good, guys. Um, there's a lovely phrase um, that Roger Courtney, who who founded one of the special force units uh, over here in the 40s, said. He said he's not looking for. It was a male environment. He's not looking for men with discipline. He's looking for men with self-discipline. Yeah, And I think that distinction is incredibly important. So in answer to your question, that leaders create leaders, that distributed leadership model, it gets called empowerment. And no one quite knows what that means in yeah. a way. But that idea really that uh, one of the key roles of leaders is to create other leaders. 
And and if you take um, a mission command model, another military model, um, the the leader's job is to set the the end state, the impact that we want to have, the vision, the what and the why, um, and then hand it over to the subordinates to figure out the how, to be responsive to the conditions on the front line. Um, militarily, they talk about the you know the strategic corporal, the thinking soldier. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that principle absolutely applies to a highly energized, um, highly responsive, highly agile um, uh, organization in which, uh, in which people know what's required. They know the end state. They're committed to delivering it. They're trusted to make good decisions. They have a sense of autonomy. Um, they, they, they get to be better and grow as human beings and as leaders. Um, that empowerment model, if you like, creating the dirt in which people can grow. You know, culture, we talked about the culture word. Um, Cicero, uh, back in Rome, really coined the phrase um, or made the distinction that the culture is really creating the conditions for people to grow, mm, for people yeah. to develop, to mm. cultivate. So leadership is about cultivating the conditions in which other human beings grow and perform at their best. That's yeah. what culture is, and, or a good culture is. Yeah. Um, and I, I just just one thing actually on culture because I think you said you know it 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 almost becomes wallpaper the phrase culture and I think that's right it doesn't mean it's no less important. Um, I like the phrase environment because it just shifts the game a little bit and it, it tends to be the word that's used within elite teams. You know yeah. how can we create a high performance environment? Mm -hmm. um, the other the other phrase or the other word I like to use is climate, and climate yeah. is. Uh, is slightly different from culture. You can have a great culture if you want. Uh, let's say a school might have a great culture, but the, but the, but what really matters to the students is is the climate in the classroom. Yeah, and that's defined by the humans in that room, and um, particularly in a sort of Me Too era, an era that talks a lot about and rightly about diversity and inclusion and and um, uh, rebalancing power structures. Um, that creating a climate, um, the right climate, um, a climate in which things grow, if you like, or people grow, I think has absolutely got to be, you know, the right place to th be and to be standing right now. You know, psychological safety, you know, is vital for people to function to their full ability. Yeah. Um, um, creating and giving voice to to people allowing people to bring themselves to the task um is is a climatic thing and so i'm really interested in exploring that idea of you know how, how do we create the climate around ourselves uh and that comes to personal leadership and it, it really begins with leading from within hmm. you, know, you have to have awareness um, you, you have to have the sensibility or be prepared to challenge yourself. And, you know, I would argue, and the All Blacks is a good example of this, is that the, the transformation within the All Blacks environment, uh, I don't think would have been possible without the transformation of the people at the top. Uh, okay. um, Graham Henry, the, the then coach, um, was a headmaster. I think he'd be the first to, to admit he was pretty command and control. You know, lovely man, but it was his way or the highway for a long time. And over the course of his career, as he matured, as he learned, um, he understood that actually it was not about him being in charge. It was him kind of 
uh, charging his followers, if you like, and giving them uh, a charge, you know, an energetic transfer from one to the other. So, um, you know, he turned it upside down in a way. And that personal transformation, I think, enabled the possibility with a lot of input from other people um, for the team to, to, to go from quite a hierarchical group um, with filled, filled with dysfunction into one that was, you know, genuinely inclusive. And I, I'd go even further. I think that, um, you know, that team and and many other teams uh, that, that that I've worked with really at the top level are really fueled by love, and uh, you know, brotherhood, fraternity, sisterhood, um, connection, um, a sense of caring for each other, akin, uh, playing for each other. Uh, and that goes as far back as you want. That goes back to the Spartan shield. The idea of the Spartans would fight with their right hand and their short sword. And if they lost that in battle, that wasn't a problem. But the shield was for their mates. You know, and, and the, and the, again, in the military, they say you don't fight for, you know, queen and country. You fight for the bloke in the foxhole beside you. Yeah. So creating that kind of environment, um, that kind of climate, Mm. If you like, in which people grow and are, are able, uh, feel free to play at their best. They're free of fear. That's, um, it's you know, punished. If if there is punishment, it's for sins of omission. It's for not going for it, rather than for going for it, for having a go. It creates an entirely different dynamic within a group. One that is, you know, risk averse. First one that is um, uh, entrepreneurial and enterprising. Yeah. And so that climate and that particularly that personal climate that everybody can uh, impact on those around them, I think is really where a spotlight deserves and needs to be shone in a way, because culture can be a very abstract set of values written on a wall or, you know, a mission statement on a website. And if that's not reflected, you know, in a school sense, in the classroom or, or in a meeting room or in a team, then culture means nothing. Yeah. It's just and, and words so on a wall. Yeah. It's just That's, words on a wall. Yeah. And it's, it's taking the walls from the, the, the words from the wall and getting them on the floor, you know, getting those values and living them out loud, um, creating the space for people to be the best that they can be, being a resource for people to grow and develop. Um, has got to be the, 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 you know, I believe and, and I've seen as, is the pinnacle really of leadership. Yeah. It's, um, uh, it, it is cold, It is being the climate that allows that cultivated culture to grow human beings and beyond just professionally. You know, there's, all, there's again, there's an anthropological kind of thing that, that leaders tend to have a few gray hairs or be moving in that general direction. You know, anthropologically, you know, as soon as we start to kind of get near our 40s on one side or the other, um, that tends to be when the, that's, that's a tribal elder. Yeah. You know, and what's the role of a tribal elder is to hand over the wisdom of the, the tribe, mm. um, train up the next generation, be a protector, um, create the environments in which the capacity and the capability of that tribe, if you like, of that group uh, can develop for the good of all. Yeah. So I think there's something very fundamental um, uh, hardwired. It's not a phrase I like, but something anthropological um, uh, evolutionary in mm. a sense, uh, about that kind of uh, mode of looking or model of leadership. Um, so yeah. anyway, long answer to a short question. No, but I, James, I think there's a few words you said in there that really struck me because 
I read the book and I've, I've loved that section on pass the ball. But you also said something there in that conversation that struck me, leaders create leaders. And that's even at the front line. You know, because yeah. I think a lot of the time you were talking there so much about creating leadership and capability in your front line, that empowerment, that accountability, that motivation, that drive to support your mate beside you. That is basically it. That is, that creates bottom up. Bottom that up. Cre- that creates and, that bottom up. Agility, energy. flexibility, and reality too. You know, you know, how many initiatives don't work because the people who are supposed to implement them just go, this is crazy. Yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> this is the next bad, bad idea. It, you know, this is this is a bad idea. You know, you know, the, the joke I made, it's a great team on paper, but they have to play on grass. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, you know, life's not a PowerPoint presenta- presentation. It's a, it, it may look really good. Um, but actually somebody has to execute this. It's better to, to empower um, or trust or create a process in which those having to deal with frontline issues are able to respond to frontline issues. Yeah. And, and that, that's leadership. That's, that's, that's kind of contextual leadership on the spot on the, on the frontline where it matters or in the back office where it matters. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter no. where it exists. And could be the way house or anyway. You know, there's, there's a phrase around sport, you know, a CEO in every position. You know, decision makers at every, and, every, and people are decision and they're either making a decision to engage or not engage. Um, and you, you know, how many, how many customers get lost at a kind of a retail level, mm. if you like, because yeah. through inflexibility. Yeah. So, so how, you know, I, I, I bought a pair of shoes actually a little while ago from, from, from a company connected to Prada church issues. Um, um, somebody somebody in any branch can bring has a direct line to the ceo yeah well. right you know you know the the hierarchy there does, it exists clearly there are roles and responsibilities but but if there is a problem there's just you know there are hotel groups that provide kind of a discretionary spending sum just to solve your guests problems and wow. that level of small and that you know they actually spend less what, what they found is they spend less um, on those uh, d- discretionary budgets, but the idea that you can, that you have the power, that you are trusted, um, that you are a problem solver, that that it's customer facing or guest facing, and that's a huge priority, and we back you to make good decisions. That's gold. Yeah, in that is massive. Yeah, and that is leaders and creating leaders at the front line, right at the front line. And I think anyone who who um, who thinks, well, you know, leadership is me and those other guys, guys and girls who, who have come up with me and, and we're the brains trust and we know everything. That's, that, that's a very blinkered and narrow approach yeah. to the idea of leadership. It's very transactional, it's very hierarchical, um, and it's not very effective. You yeah. know, it's, it's really usually pretty poor leadership. You need extraordinarily powerful processes in place to to replicate something even near to the human dimension, the yeah. human ability to, uh, you know, to respond to, to play the ball, to take the rugby metaphor, yeah, you know, to, to play the game, to play the ball as it falls in front of you. Um, so I, I think that's a vital part of the paradigm, if you like, or yeah. the, the model is, is that is getting it to every level. And, um, 
you know, if I can just talk for a moment about um, on, a, on a military, you know, I think one of the things in large organizations um, is there are very few recognized models. So, so people might say, let's create an empowerment culture. You know, what does that mean? I mean, empowerment is one of those pink and fluffy words anyway yeah. now that becomes wallpaper. But, but what does that mean? You know, how do you do that? And, and most people go, well, empowerment is, I, I don't know, I'm going to kind of ask them what they think occasionally. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, but, there are, but there are no methods. There's no methodology. Um, you, know, you, you know, the military use a thing called mission command, you know, which is if you break down the key elements, it's about selecting the right people. You know, it's about having the right DNA. It's about training them, right? It's about resourcing them, right? Giving them that 50 quid they can, or 50 bucks they can spend on a bunch of flowers to say sorry or whatever it is. Um, and it's about communicating in a certain way. And it's about communicating um, by setting that the what and the why, the big picture, the intent, what's called yeah. the commander's intent. Mm. And then asking them how they're going to do it. Your subordinates, what do you reckon? Yeah. How should we do this? Because empowerment, you know, um, is, you know, people executing a plan they've been a part of plan of making, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then and then what in mission command gets called the sort of directed telescope. You don't micromanage. You just look at some small moments here and there you keep an eye on things, but you don't kind of get right into the micromanagement because otherwise you take away all of that autonomy that you, that you've created mm. and you know, self-determination theory out of Australia. Um, uh, you, you know, it talks about autonomy or mastery autonomy and relatedness, you know, generally yes. in a humanistic stance, good people want to be, you know, good at what they do. They want to achieve mastery. There's a sort of sense of self-determination, that's fundamental to that. They want to do it on their own terms. They want autonomy. No one wants to be micromanaged. No one mm. wants to go against their own values now more than ever. Yeah. They want relatedness. They want to be connected with the people they work for, for a cause that matters. Um, so if you can create that within your environments and, and empower them, say, guys, let's, what do you reckon? You're the guys at the front line. You tell us. And if we think that this holds together, we will resource it and we will make it happen. I mean, that's the kind of leadership you want. You don't want it all decided in a nice, on the 17th floor of a skyscraper with, with, with nice cushy seats and, and an expensive Italian table and everyone sitting around with PowerPoints deciding just what's going to happen at the front line. That never worked. Yeah. It's an organ transplant. The body's going to reject it. Yeah. You know? And like you said, it's, it's, won or lost on the grass yeah. and so really that's that's where it counts so it's won or lost on the grass that is what really counts we're going to conclude episode one at this point and come back next week for part two on what the all blacks can teach us about the business of life join us next week for episode 48 of the enterprise excellence podcast where we'll delve into this amazing story further thanks again james bye for now